seated. Let's turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. The book of Joshua, chapter 7. As we read of the aftermath of the battle of Jericho. Joshua chapter 7. This is uh, the seventh in our series of messages on lessons on spiritual warfare. Titled this one, Everybody In? Question mark. Is everybody in? Invite you back this evening as we'll take a look at an individual in Scripture who is given uh, one listing in Scripture. Polethi is the man's name, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has to teach us through uh, this man's occlusion into the Word as well. But this morning, back to our series on Joshua and uh, spiritual battles in our world today. So we pick it up at verse 1. It's a rather long passage that we'll be reading this morning. But... The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zarahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan said to Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels. Then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord, and Joshua and all the people of Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah with the gold and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkey and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. They brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, once again, we are going into the book of Joshua. And many of us have heard these stories quite a few times. The younger people, probably not quite as much. But it is amazing as Pastor Bob leads us through these stories, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, how much more there is to learn every time we hear them. Father, so we pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he delivers a message and pray that you'll be with each and every one of us as we hear the message that you will open our minds and our hearts to fully take it in. All this we ask in Christ's name, amen. And amen. So four things regarding this passage. First of all, the sin that is noted. Secondly, the response that is given. Thirdly, the judgment that we see. And fourthly, the grace that is evident. The sin, the response, the judgment, and the grace. First of all, in regards to the sin. Isn't it interesting how this passage opens? As we read through it, we find out it is one man man by the name of Achan. We'll come back to that in a minute. But that's not the way the passage begins. The passage doesn't begin, but Achan broke faith in regard to the devoted things. 
It's for the people. The one is involved in the whole. See, one of the things that this passage brings us to is that God deals with his people in a covenantal manner. The people broke faith. But you say it's one man. The people broke faith. Why? Because they are in a covenantal relationship with God. They have a covenant identity as a whole, as a people. Not unlike that which we would say is in regards to the church today. We also are in a covenantal relationship with God. This is the church that we are dealing with here in Joshua chapter 7 of the Old Testament. They are a unit and God treats them as such even as God treats us as such. We are a corporate identity. Paul, when he's writing about the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, does not say we are many bodies. He talks about the fact that we are many parts to the one body, the body of Christ, which is the church. So even though we are all individually part of it, God treats the whole as one unit. But the people of Israel broke faith. The people of Israel broke covenant with God in regards to the devoted things. But you see, it's not just corporate identity. It is corporate responsibility. We live in a day and age, in our culture and in our society. And I think it's ramping up in which this individualistic thought, well, I can do what I want because I, I'm an individual and I have these rights and I have these privileges, not understanding a corporate responsibility to the church of Jesus Christ. Well, everybody can decide for themselves. No, that isn't true. Not in the church of Jesus Christ. We are considered a corporate people. And we are under a covenant responsibility before God. So as we see here, plainly in this account of Joshua chapter 7, where one sins, the whole is held accountable and responsible. So it isn't just, well, I'll go off and do my own thing. That really doesn't matter to anybody else. Yes, it does matter. It does matter how each of us lives because how each of us lives has a consequence for the whole. That, that's not the political thought of the day, certainly. And either side of the spectrum, whether on the very conservative or on the very liberal, plays the same individualistic game. It's like, well, I have a right to my own body, right? Therefore, I can abort my child without understanding a corporate responsibility. 
That's what Joshua chapter 7 is bringing to our forefront. But I want you to understand this as well in an even perhaps more pointed understanding. Keep your finger here at Joshua 7. The corresponding New Testament passage is found in Romans chapter 5. So I want you to find Romans 5 because we're kind of going to be going back and forth here. Romans chapter 5. Now just listen to how it is in Romans 5 that Paul describes this corporate responsibility that we have before the Lord. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sin. Where does sin come from? One man. What happens? Everybody falls under that corporate responsibility. The one man being Adam. Go with me to verse 17. For if by one man's trespass... Death reigned through that one man. Go to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. See what's happening? The one, a representative, Adam, becomes responsible for all of our sin and all of our guilt. Corporate identity, corporate responsibility. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. What happens? Joshua chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith. How? One man sinned. So that'll be the second thing underneath sin. The people broke faith How? For Achan took. One man's sin has a consequence for the entire nation. One individual's failure brings about a consequence for the entire body, three plus million people of Israel. Now, I want you to note already in verse 1, we know who this is. The rest of the chapter, they don't know who this is until we come to the latter part of the chapter. God's just telling us, I already know. We don't have to go through this procedure to figure it out. I already know who it is. It's Achan. And then we're given his lineage so that there is no mistake. Nor is there a mistake later on when he is identified and that lineage matches up. God knows Achan's sin. God knows what Achan has done. He knows exactly that sin. Even as he knows our own hearts. And he knows our exact sin and our exact failure. But what is it? That Achan had done. 
he had taken of the devoted things. Now we have to go back to chapter 6, right? In chapter 6, as they're about to conquer through God's glorious help, the city of Jericho, they are given a specific command. Go with me to chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So there were things that were to be destroyed, devoted things. There are things that were devoted to destruction. But there were also things, verse 19, but all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So there's two devoted things. Some devoted to destruction. Some devoted to the Lord. What did Achan do? He took of some of those devoted things. We're going to learn later exactly what it is. It's It's uncovered. He confesses what he has taken. He tells us exactly what is there. You know, the the beautiful cloak, that was something that should have been dedicated to destruction. The silver and gold is that which was, should have been dedicated to the Lord. So Achan took of those devoted things. And by his taking of those devoted things, the people broke faith, which results in what? The burning anger of the Lord. See that at the end of verse 1? The people broke faith, corporate, because one man took the devoted things, result the burning anger of the Lord. As far as we know, right, these two, three million Israelites, there were probably a lot of sins committed in this time period. It's not like they lived perfect lives. But what Achan had done is he had broken a specific covenantal agreement with the Lord in that he took those devoted things. So the Lord's anger is burning against them. The Lord is, it's just, it's beyond anger. Because we have the qualifier, the burning anger. Makes one think of condemnation. What makes one think of damnation. Makes one think, does it not, of hell. The burning anger of the Lord was against the people because of Achan's sin. That covenantal relationship that they are in. How does that exhibit itself? How does this burning anger of the Lord, did the people look up in the sky and there was like smoke and Fire billowing in the clouds? No. Came down to a very, very practical, down-to-earth 
situation. Now remember, Joshua and the people know not what Achan has done. So they just conquered Jericho. Okay, They're making their way. They've gone across the, the Jordan River. They've come to Jericho, large city. Now there's this little burg. There's this little town. Joshua sent spies out to find out about this town. It's a little town by the name of Ai. The spies come back and say, Joshua, to amass 600,000 soldiers, that's just, that's overkill. You don't need 6,000 soldiers. This place, this town of Ai is so little, it's so small. Two, 3,000 at the most, at the max. You don't, you don't need any more soldiers than that. Joshua listens to the advice of the spies, sends out the 3,000 to this little town of Ai. And you can probably imagine, right? They're, they're probably pretty confident, these soldiers. After all, Jericho's lying in a heap of rubble. All of its warriors are dead. Largest, most powerful city of the area. This little town. This little burg. This will be nothing. Probably confident, marching up to the city. What happens? Well, a battle ensues, but it doesn't go the way the Israelites think. These few warriors... These few men in the town of Ai come out of the city and chase the Israelites down the path from which they've come. What you have to kind of figure is maybe a couple hundred men, right? It's just a small town. Maybe that's too many. And these guys, in, in some way, we don't know the exact logistics of how it happened, but somehow or another, the Israelite soldiers realized that they are in trouble. Maybe there was some initial attack. And the men fall, and they go, wait a minute. We didn't know this was supposed to happen. Maybe we better get out of here. And they turn around and run with these few hundred soldiers chasing the 3,000 down the road. God's burning anger results in what? An embarrassing battle loss. The embarrassment of this. Like the U of M losing to Appalachia State, right? Or worse yet, it's perhaps Michigan State losing to Coopersville Broncos. And it's an embarrassment. What's going on? Plus, 36 Israelite men have died. The Lord's burning anger. But note the end of verse 5. What does this result in? This having to turn, this loss, the death of 36 of their warriors... What does that verse say? Their hearts melted. Have we read that before? Yeah. 
Remember, that was of the enemies of Israel. Remember when the Israelites are camped on the other side and they're about to cross over, what happens, right? We read of those spies coming to Jericho, and and what do we read? But that the people's hearts, the enemies of the Lord, those who are outside of a covenant relationship, what's the matter? Their hearts have melted. In fact, I think we, we found that several times in those early chapters of Joshua. Their hearts had melted. Now look what happened. Okay? You talk about the consequence of God's burning anger. Their hearts melted. And then we're given a descriptor. Their hearts melted like water. They are defeated. The strength is gone. The vibrancy is gone. The energy is gone. The passion is gone. What's going on? They're depressed. They're fearful. They're discouraged. No hope. In fact, Joshua's prayer is... We might as well be on the other side. Sound familiar? Does it sound somewhat like the Church of Jesus Christ 2021? Discouraged? Lack of energy? Lack of passion? Lack of desire to serve the Lord. Enemies seem much stronger. Every time something happens, it seems like the church has to run with its tail between its legs. We see fallen warrior after fallen warrior before the enemies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the hearts of the people are melted. And we are confused like Joshua is. The confusion of Joshua is part of the burning anger of the Lord. He doesn't know what's going on. He he doesn't know what to do. His leadership is, is in a shambles. Where do I go? What do I do? Now what? And what about you, God? What does this all say about you? Questioning. Doubts even to the point of doubting what God himself is doing. Why? Why this burning anger? Because the people of Israel had broken faith. Why? Because they're all horrible, rotten people? Because one man, Achan, had taken of the devoted things of the Lord. What's God's response? Joshua's praying, right? Good thing, you ought to be praying, right? We would all, we would all conclude, would we not? Joshua's doing the right thing. Man, he's down on his knees, he's praying. He's trying to figure out what's going on. That's not what God says. It's an interesting story because God doesn't say, Joshua, you need to keep praying. 
keep praying, Joshua. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. You got to keep praying, Joshua. What does he say? Get up. There is a note in the way the words are expressed, even in the Hebrew, that gives you the sense that the Lord is saying to Joshua, what are you doing on your knees? He said, isn't prayer something we should always be doing? Yeah. But not when we're supposed to be doing something else. Get up. You have sin to deal with in the camp. This is not a time for prayer, Joshua. This is a time for dealing with the sin that is in the camp. Devoted things have been taken, and they need to be dealt with. Get up. Get up. Perhaps one of the reasons that the Church of Jesus Christ today seems to be so ineffective against the spiritual powers of evil in our world and our society. Why can't 75% of American citizens stop the horror of abortion? We overwhelm. The numbers are overwhelming. But we are so ineffective. Why? Oh, Lord, we pray about this abortion issue. And God's saying, get up. What's the problem? The problem is, is that the sin isn't out there. The sin is here. The sin is here. It's in your heart. It's in my heart. We are too ready to look at the sin out there. And pray and pray and pray. We're not ready to deal with the sin in here and in here. Get up. There is sin in the camp. If we want to go to war, as we are called to do, to enter into the spiritual battles of this day and age, one of the lessons we need to learn as the church is we need to be a confessing of our own sin, of our own failure. Get up. But he says it again. He goes on to tell them about the sin in the camp. And then in verses 13 to 15, he says again, get up. Get up. Get the people ready. Gather the people together. 
and let's deal with the sin that's in this camp. Let's put an end to this sin in our own hearts, in our own congregation, in our own denomination. Let's put an end to the sin. Get ready. Come together. And they do so. What happens? They find out it's Achan. What do they do? (laughs) Here comes the judgment part, part three, right? In 10 verses, verses 16 through 26, it is described for us the judgment. It talks about the discovery of Achan's sin, the admission that Achan has of his sin, his disclosure of where the sin, the stuff is. But then comes the judgment. What are we going to do? Achan did it. What do we do? Very quickly, Achan is stoned and burned. Achan's family is stoned and burned. Achan's animals are stoned and burned. Achan's possessions are stoned and burned. Anything. That belongs to Achan. Is destroyed. I say well why? Because God deals with us in covenant. Achan is the covenant head of his home. Everything under that. Remember? You see, baptism works the same way. Circumcision worked the same way. Everything that belonged to Abraham gets circumcised. New Testament, everybody who is of the house of the Philippian jailer is baptized. But there's the other flip side of it. There is also the consequence. That corporate responsibility, that covenant identity brings about it God's judgment, not just upon Achan, but upon his entire family. But then, fourthly, we read of the grace. And you say, where is the grace in this passage? Right? You imagine the the flipped out world of this society when they hear this story. God, the animals killed. What a horrible judgmental God. That's probably more concerning to the world today than the fact that the children go. And then, of course, you have the materialists who are like, they burned his tent? Well, what a waste. It's probably not just out there in the world, is it? Where's the grace? Verse 26. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Once the judgment, once the execution, once the condemnation, once the stoning, once the burning had been done, God turned from his burning anger. Meaning, he went completely the opposite. He turned. There was burning anger towards his people. Now what is there? Covenantal, merciful love. As a father has compassion for his children. 
So the Father has pity upon those who love him. Now, if you were reading along real carefully in Romans, you're going to note that I split every verse. Because the second half of the verses explains what we're doing this morning. See, I've often said when we go through Bible studies and so on, I'm glad I didn't live in the Old Testament. I, I'm glad I wasn't in Israel. I don't think I would have made it a couple of days. Achan made it a long lot longer than I think Bob Van Manen would have made it. I think I would have been dead, burned, under the judgment of a pile of stones. I thank God. I thank God for grace. I thank God that in his providences, I'm not born under the lineage of that Old Testament. But, to get, but I get to live as you do in this era. Because there was another man. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5. Go back with me to Romans 5. Pick it up at verse 15 of Romans chapter 5. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift of that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Here in the last section of the notes, the Lord turned from his wrath the Lord turned from his burning anger towards me. Towards me. Towards you. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. That's why we're not all under a pile and rubble of stone today. It's because of Christ. Because of Christ substituting himself. Because of Christ taking upon himself my condemnation. My judgment. Christ is hid behind a stone. 
for my justification. Because of Christ's sinless atonement. Because of Christ's covenantal atonement. He does this in covenant. We are part of this covenant of grace. God looks down upon us as his children, as a whole, as a complete, as the elect, as his chosen. And he sends his son to die for all of us. It's not just one to one. Yes, Christ dies for me. Yes, Christ dies for you as an individual. But he also is there fulfilling the responsibilities of the covenant in that he dies for all of our sins. Because of Christ's personal atonement. I think that's why we're given the name Achan. We, we, why are we given his name? Why can't we just have one man, one man? Because God is making this personal. And just as the condemnation that sinners have and the burning anger of the Lord that will come upon them in the day of judgment. And he knows your name. And he knows your sins. So also God knows our names. Our name that is written in the Lamb's book of life. Our name. And under that name are no sins. Just a drop of the blood of Christ. Father in heaven, how we thank you for our Redeemer. That in this world and in this life and for all of eternity, we shall never suffer the consequences as Achan did. For Christ, our Redeemer, has bore our sin, has borne our guilt, so that we, we might have life forevermore. And God's people say, Amen.